So yeah, good morning. Welcome everybody, it's so good to see all of you. Again, my name's Evan, my wife Sandy and I have the joy of leading this community forward with a fantastic team around us. Um, let's give it up for like Clark and Amy, they led, they led worship, they just, they just had a baby. They were, they were sound checking with like a blanket on the ground behind them and their baby on the ground, it was awesome, it was very cute. So again, uh, today we begin our fall vision series. So we usually do a scripture reading up front. I'm gonna do that in a second, but I wanted to set this up first. I wanna fill you in on the plan. As, and as you do, you can uh, turn to Mark chapter three. That's where we're gonna start. So get that ready. We'll read it in a minute. For the next 10 weeks, you guys, we'll be looking at the vision for Park Hill Church. In other words, what does that mean? As we as leaders pray and seek the will of God for our church community, you're gonna hear over the next 10 weeks what we sense God is speaking to us specifically. Like when we read the scriptures and dream of the next five to 10 years as a family here in Point Loma and in San Diego and Neighbors Church on the east side, what does Jesus' dream for us look like as best we can kind of flesh it out? And simply put, simply put, Jesus is inviting us, you have that first slide, to become a community of his disciples. Do you have that first slide up, the text one? Disciples, another word for disciples is simply learners. So a really good English equivalent would be apprentices. Um, disciples, learners, apprentices. And as Jesus apprentices, we wanna see Jesus' vision realized in our time and in our place, that God's kingdom would come and his will would be done in San Diego as it is in heaven. This is what we long for, you guys. We wanna be a community through which God is bringing his rule, his goodness into our time. Ever since Jesus' resurrection, Jesus' community of disciples has been growing. And we have this word for it now, it's the church, with like a big capital C. It's this unstoppable global movement of Jesus apprentices people that learn from their master, and it's been spreading for 2,000 years. And if you're in Bible college or whatever, if you've been to seminary, you've taken a, a class called church history. It's literally our family story, church history, and it's messy, for sure, filled with all kinds of misfits and violence and abuses. And the flip side is also true. Uh, because of the faithfulness of our king and our rabbi, our story is not just filled with misfits, but it's filled with fake, countless faithful stories of people and healing and justice for the oppressed and cities being renewed and families being reconciled and true forgiveness being at the center. And so the history of the Big C Church is this ongoing drama of Jesus's imperfect people becoming more faithful. You guys are part of that. Park Hill Church is a part of that by the power of the Spirit. We are a small expression, one little spoke in a worldwide wheel and that Jesus is empowering to bring his kingdom into the world. We're a little C church, little expression, Park Hill Church. This is who we're called to become, a community of Jesus apprentices. Okay, that's like 30,000 foot big picture, but, but if you're sitting here, and you're like, how do, what does this mean like, for me personally? Like I'm a student or I'm an employee and I'm an employer. What does it mean for me personally? Uh, here it is, very simply put. This is language we're sharing with our church family up in Portland, and I found it to be very helpful and clear. To be an apprentice of Jesus 
is to order your life around these three goals. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what he did. That really sums up the entire project. And this is the plan for the next 10 weeks. We're gonna unpack all of these things. We're gonna go deep into each goal, not just here on Sundays, but in our communities as well. This series is designed to be done in community. Like we're literally creating curriculum that flows out of the teachings. Today, Aaliyah, you just heard her do announcements. She's our new pastor of community formation. And today she's gonna be sending out discussion guides to every community that you all are gonna be talking through this week. And for each of these 10 weeks, you'll have a discussion guide that flows out of Sunday's teachings. And also, can you put that last slide up just for fun? Those three, uh, those three goals, sorry, the last one, the be with Jesus. Yeah, those three goals, each one is gonna happen each month. So, so the first one, B, is all September, then October and November. You can fast forward back to the other slide now with the names. So it's pretty cool. We have guest teachers lined up to cap off each month. At the end of Be With Jesus, we have Austin Fisher coming, and he's gonna speak on being present to God through doubt. And at the end of October, when we're talking about becoming like Jesus, we have Drew Dick from Christianity Today. He's an incredible author, and he edits a bunch of books, and he has this great life message that he brings on self-control and spiritual formation. And the more I grow, you guys, the more I realize I think self-control is at the linchpin of the entire becoming like Jesus thing. It's right at the center. And so we're gonna cap off the become like part with the self-control piece. And then finally, on 11:24, the last day of the vision series, we have John Mark Comer coming to preach on living the unhurried life of Jesus. I think it's gonna be a powerful unifying time for us, you guys. I think this is gonna be really good uh, for our community. How does all that sound? Okay. And again, curriculum out of each, discussion guides out of each teaching. So this is a great time to get in community. Uh, like Aaliyah said, it's impossible to really know and be known by just church attendance. A Christian is not just a church attender. It's an apprentice of a rabbi filled with the rabbi's spirit to follow him in every way. So to start off the series, here we go. We're going to dive in. Mark chapter 3. You ready? Let's invite the spirit again. Holy Spirit, would you come? Illuminate our minds. What would you speak to your church that would leave her, leave us absolutely transformed? One more notch in the journey closer to Christ. Have your way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Mark 3.13. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted. And they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder, <laughs> Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So Jesus calls these guys, these disciples, to himself. And by the way, let's keep this text up for a while. Uh, I love that first verse. It says, he called to him those he wanted. That's the first thing I want you guys to see. If you are a disciple of Jesus, God wants you. Like, he likes you. <laughs> 
I think we bypass the fact that he's that good and he's that interested in being with us. He wants you. And then the second thing is that they responded to his desire. They came to him. That's key. They were willing to respond to his voice. Which brings us to the main point for today. Here it is. Why did Jesus appoint the 12, according to that verse, that they might be with him? That they might be with him. And hopefully today's teaching is just that. It's short and sweet. This is the first goal of apprenticeship to Jesus. This is our first goal in responding to God. It's to be with Jesus, to be with him. So immediately the question is, yeah, that's, how do you do that? Like, what does it mean to be with Jesus? Jesus is a Jew who lived 2,000 years ago, the God-man in Israel. I get how the disciples were with him because they walked around, ate, and drank with him, and hung out with him. But how do we, 21st century San Diego, how do we be with Jesus? I don't know if you've ever thought about, like, if you've grown up in the church and you've heard, yeah, I'm going to spend some time with Jesus this morning. It was a great time with you. I don't think he... We forget, if we're in the church, how weird that is. Like, it sounds weird. Like, people, that's why it's really good to have friends who aren't Christians, because you're like, I had this great quiet time, this devotion with God, he was with me, Jesus and me, and it just sounds like, what are you talking about? That's crazy talk, and it really is kind of bizarre, and I think we need to remind ourselves that it's weird, and sit in that. It's okay to realize what the rest of the world sees and hears when we talk about this. So what does it mean when we say our first goal as a disciple is to be with Jesus? What are we actually saying? Thankfully, Jesus has plenty to say about this. Watch his language. If you could turn to John 14, it'll be on the screen too. I love this from Jesus. It's fascinating. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. Okay. So we have the identity of the God who will be with us. It's this spirit of truth. Rest of verse 17. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Wait a minute, Jesus. I thought you just said the Spirit will come to you. Now Jesus is subbing his own personal pronoun in for the Holy Spirit. I will come to you. Is it Jesus or is it the Spirit? And most of the time you can just answer yes when Jesus talks mystically like this. It's both the Spirit and it's Jesus that are promising to be with the ones who keep his commands, who respond willingly to his voice. Moving on, verse 19, before long the world won't see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Try to draw that, try to draw that diagram. I don't even know what that looks like. Who's in who? Father is in Son, Son and Father, and we're in Jesus, and Jesus is in us. It's, this is Jesus, the mystic at his finest right now. This is the intimate dwelling of human and divine. This is the invitation today. This is it. Verse 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. 
The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Profound. There's lots of be with you, remain in me, I in you, you in me, intimate language here. And Jesus connects it all to obeying him, being willing to respond to his voice. And then one of his disciples asks a great question. Then Judas says, not Judas Iscariot. Uh, Mark's, he finds it important to point that out. Uh, not Judas Iscariot says, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. I remember Mike Pilavachi once said, he was talking about the five love languages. Mike Pilavachi is an incredibly influential person in my life and I, our lives. And, and he, he's talking about the five love languages, you know, the Gary Chapman thing. He's like, what's yours? Like physical touch or words of affirmation or gifts or whatever. He's like, my, my love language is his food. He's like, it's just food. He missed mine. It's not in his book. It's food. And he does this whole bit on how it's food, and I, I actually share that same love language with him. Um, but God's love language is apparently obedience, a willingness to respond to his voice. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Profound. Anyone who doesn't love me won't obey. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father. Verse 25, all this I've spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. So when we talk about being with Jesus, this is what we're talking about. What is it? We'll get into the practical how-tos at the end of the teaching, just give you some nuts and bolts or whatever to work with. But right now, you guys, the most important thing I want, I want us to get first is that the way you and I get to be with Jesus is through the Holy Spirit. It's through the Holy Spirit who's present and loves to be invited. And he responds when you and I willingly respond to him in obedience. Okay, in the passage we just read, it's up on the screen, there seems to be this synergy, this interplay between our willingness to respond and our experience of his presence. There seems to be this like mutuality, this reciprocity. Both are happening toward the same goal. Our willingness to obey is enmeshed in a beautiful way with his manifestation of his presence and his withness in your life. It's profound. In Jesus' own words, back in verse 23, anyone who loves me will obey. There's a willingness there. My Father will love them and will come to them and make our home with them. It's deeply intimate language, you guys. So for apprentices of Jesus, our first and primary goal is learning to live in this constant state of awareness, obedience, and connection to the Holy Spirit. Ground zero, you guys. 
ground zero. If there was like a piece of paper with 10 steps on following Jesus and whatever, stepping into all of God's goodness, there's not 10 steps, there's not, but if there was, this would be number one. Learning to live in a willing posture of obedience toward the Lord and toward his voice. This willingness to respond is kind of like a concrete foundation. It's the concrete foundation under the architecture of your entire spiritual life. Being with Jesus, willing to respond. So just to follow that metaphor, I am zero handyman skills. I have no construction abilities. I am not a home improver. I can barely nail into a wall. Um, I can use a compound miter saw, though. I found out what that is. I learned that. That's cool. But I'm horrible, horrible with home improvement stuff. But I've learned a little bit about construction this year. So for the past several months, Sandy and I have been dealing with a major insurance claim in our master bathroom. Our master bathroom sits on the the bottom story. We're a two-story house on a hillside. So the bottom story sits, the master bathroom sits on the slab, on the concrete foundation. And long story short, our contractor discovered our foundation in that area, a whole room, that foundation was only three inches thick. Like, not to code, super bad. I learned that that's bad. I didn't know that before, now I do. That's way too thin. And under the shower, which was the biggest problem area, it was like less than two inches of concrete. You could like hit it with a hammer and it would ring. It's not supposed to do that. And so, uh, so plus there was no vapor barrier to keep the water from nature like coming into our dwelling place. So, so it was just super not to code. And so the contractor had to jackhammer the slab. He had to jackhammer everything, dig into the hillside and re-pour a concrete foundation that was at least 12 inches thick and in some areas two feet where the load-bearing areas were. And if, his name's Mike, if Mike the contractor didn't dig up and re-pour the foundation, then no matter what cool tile my wife picked out or finishing we picked, uh, it, that bathroom would be manifesting problems over and over. We'd be back where we started. We'd be back where we started. We'd be fixing stuff forever. So we had to make a decision, either pour a new foundation or decay would be inevitable. So I I think that's a metaphor for what's going on right now. This is a decision moment for many of us. I don't care if you don't know God or if you've been following Jesus or if you've been in church your whole life. Believer or unbeliever, either way, you may love going to Sunday gatherings or community group or giving to the poor or singing or whatever else, but if being with Jesus this, this idea of be, living with a willingness to respond as your posture. If being with Jesus is not the foundation of your spiritual architecture, then at some point, decay will set in. Maybe this explains why some of us in this room keep going through the same cycles. It keeps surfacing the same stuff. You're always you're wondering, why, do, why am I back? It feels like I'm on a hamster wheel. It might be a character flaw that comes to light or some dishonest doubt that leads to setting aside Jesus' commands, which in this day and age usually end, end up being about sexuality or money or greed, whatever it is. Without being with Jesus as your foundation, it's only a matter of time before the spiritual architecture of your life is compromised. You'll be fixing stuff forever. The same stuff in the same areas. 
Jesus used this, this foundation metaphor at the end of his famous sermon in Matthew. He says, to close out this epic sermon, he says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. See that? The rain came down, streams rose, winds blew, beat against the house, yet it did not fall. No cycles of decay because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears and does not practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand, rain came down, streams rose, winds blew, beat on the house, and it fell. So there it is. According to Jesus, if my life is built on hearing a rhythm, a rhythm of hearing and responding to his voice, if, I'm not, if I am built that way, then the spiritual architecture of my life is built to code, per se. Like, I don't have to worry about damage or decay. I'm safe and I'm whole in the presence of Jesus. This is what we mean here at Park Hill when we say be with Jesus. And being with Jesus is step one of discipleship. This is what we mean. In Matthew, the metaphor was build your house on the rock. In the Gospel of John, Jesus uses a different metaphor for the same concept. It's called remaining in the vine. Some English translations say abide in the vine. It's a beautiful metaphor. My wife and I stayed on a vineyard uh, for our vacation last week and just waking up to sunrises and sunsets over this beautiful vineyard around our house. It's a profound metaphor Jesus is using here. In John 15, he says this. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Here it is. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine. You're the branches. Jesus makes the metaphor even more clear. He's like, if you don't get it, you're the branches, guys. <laughs> I love that. I'm the vine. You're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. By the way, guys, have you ever seen a tree, like, grunting it out, like, trying to, like, bear an apple on it, like, with effort or whatever? That's every, every single plant in the world bears fruit the same way, by just being. By just being, staying connected, allowing photosynthesis to run its course. This is the idea here. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you don't remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. That's the level of synergy you'll have with God when you orient your life around being with him. Is this God's ask or is this my ask? Is this God's desire or is this my desire? If you remain in Jesus and his words remain in you, the answer to all of that is yes and amen in God. It's profound what we're invited into, you guys. And that last verse, this is 
to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. What? Showing yourselves to be my apprentices, my disciples. This is the plan, you guys. And Jesus' repetition, remain, abide. That Greek word, it means to dwell and to make your home in. Jesus is like, get so intimate with me that I'm the, I'm the home button. I'm literally the center point of your GPS. You always come back. It's just instinctive. That's the kind of thing I'm asking you to enter into. And in the very next verse, the last two verses we're gonna look at from John, he says, as the Father loved me, so I've loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. So all through this passage, Jesus is driving this point home. If you are a disciple of Jesus, then get into the Father's presence and stay there. Again, the first goal of a Jesus apprentice is to learn to live in a constant state of awareness and connection to the Holy Spirit. In other words, be with Jesus. Be with him. Enter his presence with thanksgiving and obedience. This is the call. This has always been the call. Page one of the Bible, what happened? Creator creates, right? Why does God create? He's motivated by love. He creates the universe and places his human family in the center of the garden, the most, the most potential rich spot of creation. He says, now co-create. Co-create with me. Make this world what I want it to be because what I want will be what you want because we're remaining in each other. But by page three of the Bible, what happens? <laughs> page three, humans take matters into their own hands and they decide to define what's good apart from the good creator. And then the rest of the Old Testament, the story of Israel, is the story of rebellion, running away from God's presence, God pursuing in faithfulness, people repenting at the bottom of uh, the barrel that they created for themselves, and God lifting them back up and restoring them and repeat the cycle. Rebellion, pursuit, repentance, restoration, over and over. But we didn't get the clue. God's people didn't get the clue. And then at the end of the Old Testament, what do we have? We have this, uh, this profound longing mixed with concrete hope. We long to be out of exile and back in the land of promise. We long for this. We long for a temple where we can meet with God and we long to see God's face again like Adam and Eve did. But we're not, we're in exile. We've been dragged off into a foreign land with no temple and with no apparent hope, but we do have God's faithful words. And because of those, we believe God himself will come and be present with us. Somehow, that's how the Old Testament ends. It's like this massive to be continued. It's like Stranger Things. I just want season four so bad right now. And I don't know who the American and the prison cell is and what's happening and all of that. And, but it's like this big dot, dot, dot ellipsis. And that's how the Old Testament ends with this ellipsis of hope mixed with anxiety, really. And then Jesus. This Jesus character fills this huge void. And when Jesus shows up, he, he walks around acting like he owns the place. Like he's acting like he owns the temple this space where God is with us, this space where God wants to be present to us, and he says, hey, come be with me. 
be with me here, bring your sacrifices and all of that, but most of all, I want you and I wanna give mercy to you, so come. And Jesus goes, that temple where all of that happens, that's mine. As a matter of fact, we won't need that building anymore because I'm here now. And I'm inviting you to be part of this new temple I'm building out of humans. No longer stones, but living stones. It's this powerful invitation into God's presence that Jesus gives us. And Jesus starts saying these things. Whoever this Jesus character is, is bold and brave. If you can say anything about him, you can say he's brave. Because he's saying in front of everybody, don't be afraid, for I am with you. And if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now abide in me. Obey my words and the Father will be with you. Don't be afraid, I'm with you. Jesus is acting like he owns the place and he's acting like he's Yahweh. And so for the last 2,000 years, there's been this movement of people who willingly respond to Jesus as Yahweh. They willingly respond and they become disciples, apprentices. The guy Mike I mentioned, our general contractor, he brings along this young guy fresh out of rehab because Mike loves Jesus and Mike wants this young guy to learn how to do general contracting. And he's, you can hear him downstairs like, no, 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 different angle on the miter saw or whatever. And they're just going, and he, he, they commute for 45 minutes together and they work for eight, sometimes more hours on our bathroom together. And he's just pouring into, as a master, this young apprentice for the sake of his flourishing life. And so we are those kinds of apprentices. For 2,000 years, this is who the church has been. Apprenticing after Jesus. Starting with Jesus' invitation to be with him. This is the invitation today. Welcome to week one of the vision series at Park Hill. This is it. So we're turning the corner now. We're gonna land the plane at the table. There are tables all around the room. There's even four tables in the middle, I think, of the room. We're gonna come soon. I still have a couple minutes here. What does this look like practically? Is this like a mindset change? Is this like a routine change? Is it a budgeting of my time? What does it look like to be with Jesus practically? It's a great question. We're gonna unpack that very concretely over the nine weeks. But today I just wanna wrap up with a guy that Christians have affectionately referred to as Brother Lawrence. Have you heard of Brother Lawrence? 400 years ago, French monk, not a snazzy priest, doesn't have holy man credentials, but he was a monk, which means he gave his life to celibacy and brotherhood and work and prayer. And Brother Lawrence, he, he nailed this be with Jesus thing. Like he nailed it. He wrote a bunch of letters that have been compiled into a book you can still read called The Practice of the Presence of God. Uh, I, you can read it in a day. I read it this Thursday. Super short, beautiful and profound. Um, it's all about how Brother Lawrence relates to God. And he says this in the book, in one of his letters, the most holy and necessary practice in our spiritual life is the presence of God. That means finding constant pleasure in his divine company, speaking humbly and lovingly with him in all seasons, at every moment, without limiting the conversation in any way. This is especially important in times of temptation, sorrow, separation from God, 
and even in times of unfaithfulness and sin. <laughs> so I, hope, I, I guess I'm not alone when I say this uh, in this room, but I long for that kind of life in God, and I'm not there yet. I'm not. Like, it hurts me to wake up before 7 a.m. still. <laughs> like, it's painful to my soul and body, and uh, my, I lose Christianity sometimes before 7 a.m. And I'm an Enneagram 7, so I'm easily distracted by books and tweets and emails and friends, but I also love inviting God's presence into my commute, which isn't that long, but anytime I'm in the car, I'm like, Lord, what do you want? I, I love when I remember to do that, I just don't remember enough. Or my novel reading time. It's not even a Christian book. It's like this beautiful fictional novel about Asian culture. And I'm just like, Lord, be with me in this moment. Speak to me and be present as I read. Or Bible reading or movie watching or piano playing or tickle time with the kids or quiet time, whatever it is. I love the change in atmosphere when I remember to acknowledge God's presence. I'm like, Lord, here I am. There you are. And then respond in obedience in the moment. Do you long to experience more of God's presence? Do you long, it has to start with a longing. Do you long to be more aware of God's goodness all around you? And it's important to point out that Brother Lawrence calls it a practice. It's not something that just happens to you. It's a practice. I think this is exactly what Jesus was meaning when he said, build on the rock or remain in the vine. If you love me, keep keep my commands. This is what it means to be with Jesus. It is ground zero for following Jesus. In the second half of his book, Brother Lawrence, he shows us what this looks like, typical day in the life of a monk. I know you wanted that. When you woke up this morning, you're like, I just want to know what a day in the life of the monk is like. Um, right here, here it is. It's not actually that much different than ours. During my work, I would always continue to speak to the Lord as though he were right with me, offering him my services and thanking him for his assistance. Also, at the end of my work, I used to examine it carefully. He would, he would check out his work, and if I found good in it, I thanked God. If I noticed faults, I asked his forgiveness without being discouraged, and then went on with my work, still dwelling. There's that word with him. Thus, continuing in the presence of conversing with God throughout each day and quickly seeking his forgiveness when I fell or strayed, his presence has become as easy and natural to me now as it once was difficult to attain. It's a practice. And when I read that, I'm like, I'm kind of like, I can do that. Like that I can do. He was in a community. I'm in a community. We can talk about how we fall, how we fail, how we succeed, how we are aware. And we can hold each other to this incredible journey we call discipleship. I can do this. This is the invitation of Jesus to build your house on the rock, to be open to being corrected and compelled by him every hour. So the basic questions that are gonna lead us to the table are basically something like this. Will you make being with Jesus your foundation? This is the invitation. Will you make the presence of God your foundation for your entire spiritual existence, even if it means letting him dig up the old foundation? Whatever habits are in place that you know are contrary to the way of Jesus, 
Whatever's going on underneath, a thin foundation, will you let him re-pour his presence into your life? And then, and will you let Jesus be your true vine? Even if it means allowing him to cut cynicism and dishonest doubt and unforgiveness, allowing him to cut those things away. Simply, simply put, do you want to share in the abundant life of Jesus? Jesus himself call it life to the fullest. Jesus came to bring this thing called full rich life. Do you want to share in that? I mean, Jesus is so compelling, you guys. If you're, and there might be atheists in this room today. If you're an atheist, Buddhist, Hindu, Christian, whatever, most people will agree that Jesus himself, I don't know what you think about the church or Christians, or religion, but Jesus himself, there's something incredibly compelling about the guy and magnetic. And the invitation of Jesus is to share in his life. That's the invitation today to share in his own compelling life. Do you wanna share what Jesus calls life to the fullest? This is what we're talking about all vision series. Paul lists what he calls the fruit of the spirit in Galatians 5 later on, we're not gonna read it, but these are the fruits of simply being plugged in to this Jesus. And the fruits are great. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, I mean, who in their right mind would be like, I disagree with the principles behind those ethics? You know what I mean? Like, no, everyone wants love and joy and peace. Everyone does. And this is actually what Jesus is most characterized as, these things. And so the question is, how do we step into Jesus' life? How do you step into Jesus' life? How do we do it? And I'll tell you, the answer is actually very simple. It doesn't take a seminary degree to answer that question. It doesn't take being a pastor. How do you step into Jesus' life? Very simple, you live like Jesus. And, and all at once you see the complexity of that, don't you? It's both the simplest and the most difficult thing ever. Why? Because if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. In other words, living the lifestyle of Jesus, following in his way, is actually the way Jesus calls that life to the full. This is why before Christians were called Christians, they were called followers of the way. And this idea of the way, it's rooted far back in ancient Israelite history in the Psalms. I'm not gonna read the whole thing, but if you could put that Psalm on the screen, the last line, verse six, for the, it's like the whole blessed is the one who's rooted, who's planted, who experiences the presence of God and doesn't leave. Blessed is that one, verse six, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. God is watching over you. Those of you who trust in Jesus and commit your lives in community to practicing his way by first being present in willing obedience. He's with you. He promises to watch over you. You have his presence. You have his full abiding presence. You are richly immersed in his actual person and being. Can't say the same thing about opposing ways. And this is the invitation of Jesus to flourishing life in his presence, which means our complete obedience. This is the invitation of Jesus. Okay. It's a final thought. 
what I'm personally discovering this whole discipleship thing it really does take discipline it really is an apprenticeship and there's a hard truth I've tried to find my way around and I can't I've tried this reality that every effective leader every influential voice in my life every person who's spoken and and has changed me for the better all of them have a disciplined routine not only that a disciplined morning routine all of them that's like there's only a couple things they all share in common and that's one of them all of them are committed to being present to God as the first fruit of their day And they're at least shooting for, if not growing in, with their community fully aware of this this routine that they have. That 1,500 years ago, St. Benedict called it a rule of life. And I'd love to see what that looks like for our community as we step into 2020. Maybe by fall of 2020, we'll roll out some kind of rule of life. We're actually having this conversation as a church. What does it look like to hold ourselves to one another's journeys? in a true, measurable, accountable way. I know we're commitment-phobic these days, but forget it, like, let's just do it. <laughs> let's take up this way of Jesus the way he commands us to. Brennan Manning is credited with saying this, quiet time with God is like manna from heaven. It comes daily and it disappears with the dawn. And I'm still discovering that. It's actually true. A healthy life pace is birthed from a healthy beginning of the day. My marriage, my parenting, my vision as a leader, my pastoral planning, everything about my life, my, even my emotional health. Planting this church took a toll on my, like, I had chest pains that I was very scared of for a few months. I didn't know what they were. I never had them before. It was because of my lack of intentional discipleship. It's really boiling down to it. In my life, that's my story. And I don't know any other way in a noise-saturated, distraction-addicted world, especially in a fast-paced city like this. So can we stand? This is it. Be with Jesus. What we're going to do right now is just take maybe 60 seconds. Just close your eyes. And with a big deep breath, invite the presence of God. He's here. He loves to hear from us. And I'm going to do a short version of the practice that all the communities are going to do this week. So for 15 seconds, let's just acknowledge God is present and he is loving you. He wants you. Just be present to him right now. Intentionally breathe in thoughts of his goodness and breathe out, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. And there might be some distracting chatter in your brain right now that's normal. Just let that flow by like a river. 
Your mind will use this opportunity to distract you. Don't worry, be gracious with yourself. As your mind wanders off the goodness of God, it's okay, just recenter with a simple prayer like, thank you, Father. And come back to your breathing, your awareness of his presence. Thank you, Lord. Sometimes when we attend to God in this way, he'll bring scriptures to mind, he'll bring pictures, he'll bring words. Test them in your community. God gives the gift of prophecy for encouragement, edification, and comfort in the body of Christ. Perhaps he's beginning to speak to you in that way. This is good. This is what happens when you attend to the presence of God and are obeying his voice. This is the kind of community we're called to become. Father, we want to be in your presence. We want to be responsive. This is to the glory of the Father. This is not for our own glory. This is so you might have us. Come, Holy Spirit. We're open to your working, Holy Spirit. Yes, Lord. Come.